I'm Emma and I'm Gabby and this week I am so stinking excited because I'm going to teach Emma the basics of D&D. We're going to talk about the history of D&D briefly and I'm going to walk her through a character creation. That's right. Let's get started. Of course. So before we get started actually I'm going to stop right here and say if you haven't watched or listened to the first two episodes of like of D&D content that I've already created um, not too long ago. I really recommend going and listening to those and watching those right now. Um, there's oh, a yeah. great introduction for D&D in the first episode um, for those of you who haven't played before. And there are going to be links in there that we're going to clear up some possible confusion from this episode. So, yeah, and let me tell you, those really prepared me for this week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> so... This first segment is going to be a super brief history of the game because we have a ton to get through. So we're going to get through it like as quickly as possible. So if I start tripping over my words and I like stop, talk too fast, I'm sorry. I just want to get through it super fast. <laughs> yep. Yeah, awesome. So let's get into it. Hey guys, it's editor Gabby. So we actually lost about 12 minutes of Emma's audio this week, which is why in this history section, it sounds like I'm not talking to anybody because we were having the conversation, but her audio stopped recording and everything just kind of pooped out on her all at once. So we have a little section where it's just me talking to myself. Um... (laughs) So if there's any weird pauses or it sounds like I'm talking to her, but there's no response, that's why. Um, We're so sorry. And hopefully next week we won't have any issues. Anyway, let's get back into it. Awesome. So Dungeons and Dragons, commonly abbreviated as D&D with an ampersand or D-N-D with an N, is a a fantasy tabletop role-playing game or an RPG originally designed by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. And it was first published... Uh, in 1974 by Tactical Studies Rules, Inc., or TSR, and it's been published by Wizards of the Coast, now a subsidiary of Hasbro, since 1997. D&D's publication is commonly recognized as the beginning of modern role-playing games and of the role-playing industry, or sorry, role-playing game industry. Each player creates their own character, and the dungeon or game master leads them through puzzles and various roleplay scenarios as well as combat. Now, as of today, there have been five editions of D&D, and I'm just going to really quick explain what those are and how they were different from the ones before them. So, um, first edition came out in 1974, and it split into two different types of D&D in 77. Um, they were a beginner's D&D and advanced D&D, and the two involved separate, or evolved separately for a few years, um, but advanced D&D eventually phased out, and they kind of, like, replaced some of the more basic um, things from basic D&D with some of the more advanced maneuvers, and they just kind of combined them back together, really. So advanced D&D um, was an updated version of D&D, and it was released at, as advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Um, It reorganized the game rules into three hardcover books compiled by Gary Gygax between 1977 and 1979. Now these books were the Monster Manual from 1977, the Player's Handbook from 1978, and the Dungeon Master's Guide from 1979. And I actually have a copy of all three of those books because those were the books that my uncle had when he started playing D&D and I have them sitting right over there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. 
So second edition stressed heroic role-playing and teamwork as the target. Um, And the target age of the game was also lowered and it was aimed more at teenagers than adults like the first edition was. Then um, basic third edition came out in 83 and there weren't really much many changes about it that I could find. Um, Then advanced second edition came out in 89 Um, This also uh, corresponded with some important cultural pressures that affected TSR. An effort was made to remove aspects of the game which had attractive negative publicity, most notably the removal of all mention of demons and devils because of, you know, satanic panic, and the elimination of character classes like Assassin. So in the year 2000, D&D went pro with TSR having been acquired by Wizards of the Coast. The word advanced was dropped and some of the um, beginner's tactics were reintroduced. So into third edition or third E for short. Um, And the name was back to just Dungeons and Dragons. So underlying in third E was the um, D20 system. So it basically went all in on 20 sided die and it went the other way with armor class. Whereas before it was zero was the best you could get for armor class. It flipped it. So now the highest the higher the armor class, the better. Um, There was also new character options that were introduced, um, new skills, and a new system of feats. And most notably, the D20 system was presented under the Open Game License, which made it an open source system that allowed for third-party D&D compatible content. Now, remember this for later. That's important. In 2003, they released 3.5. So in 2003, a revised version of the third edition of D&D rules, termed 3.5, was released, and that incorporated numerous little rule changes, even as basic, even as the basic rules were fundamentally the same, many monsters and items are compatible or even unchanged between those two editions. So it was just like small little changing how some of the mechanics work. So it wasn't it wasn't too big of a change that they weren't backwards compatible. So in 2008, 4th edition was released, and 4th edition had a terrible reception when it was released. Um, It was really combat heavy, and it wasn't more focused on roleplay, especially like um, 3.5 and 5th edition were. It was inspired by video games like World of Warcraft, and the 4th edition saw a major overhaul of the game's systems. Combat became very tactical and reinforced the use of squares to express distance, which is still used today. Uh, The initial print run of the 4th edition sold out during pre-orders, but things went south from there, and many players instead chose to continue playing older editions, particularly 3.5. Now, using the open game license, like I mentioned earlier, um, the Pathfinder role-playing game was first published in 2009 by Paizo Publishing, and it was intended to be the first backwards-compatible a game with D&D 3.5 and it just adjusted some rules balance and Pathfinder people have said ha- is most similar to um, Dungeons and Dragons 3 and 3.5 because it's um, you know more role play heavy and a little bit less uh, I guess tactical in the combat. So then in 2014 uh, Wizards of the Coast came out with 5th edition so they actually announced it in 2012 in january of 2012 versus of the coast announced a new edition of the game and it was developed in part by a massive open play set test so they had a ton of people come in and like play and give their input and they kept revising it until 2014 it was officially released 
So mechanically, 5th edition pulls inspiration heavily from prior editions while also introducing some new mechanics intended to specify, simplify ease of play. Skills, weapons, and saving throws are now a single-use proficiency bonus that increases leveling as a level increases, and multiple defense values of 3rd E have been removed. Now, returning to D&D, now this uh, version returned D&D to a single defense value of armor class. Um, also, the advantage or disadvantage mechanic was introduced, streamlining conditional modifiers into a simpler mechanic, rolling two d20s for a situation and taking the higher for advantage and the lower for disadvantage. Now, there's a really crazy story that a lot of people don't actually know. I mean, a lot of people do know it and there's rumors about it, but it's not confirmed or anything. It's just kind of a story um, about Gary Gygax. Um, when he was creating D&D, um, his wife was like convinced that she was cheating on her. And so one night she followed him from work into a friend's basement and she walked in and they were all like hunched over this like dark table and they were all playing D&D. <laughs> and so this was like, this was her being like, wow, my husband's a nerd and I thought he was cheating on me. And this, I think this was the start of the golden retriever gamer boyfriend in my opinion. <laughs> Um, but yeah, most people are fairly certain that this is what inspired others to have like dimly lit sessions in like a dingy basement. And that's also what led to that image in pop culture, like in Stranger Things. Okay, so that is that. I think, okay, we got through that pretty, pretty well. Okay, guys, and here's where Emma's audio comes back. Thanks for sticking with, uh, with us through that section hopefully it wasn't too awkward here we go okay um so now we're gonna get you started and ready for your first DD gameplay experience yes. so that means we're gonna build you a character yes and i already have the website up um DD beyond um awesome. the character builder as you can Perfect. see at, for from the screen sharing for those of you who are watching us today yes so awesome. This is going to be the character that you're going to use in our actual play episode for a little bit later down the line. Yeah. We haven't really? fully decided yet. Um, it just depends yeah. on scheduling. For, exactly. Really quick note to our listeners at home. Um, follow along with us by either using Character Builder on D&D and Beyond like Emma's using. Or if you want to go the old school way, you can use a printed out character sheet and the Beginner's Guide to D&D, um, which you can also find in the links of this episode. Um, but if you do decide to go with the book, there may be some um, races and classes that we are having on D&D and Beyond because it uses other online forums and other online sources that isn't going to be in the Beginner's Guide to D&D. Yep. So shall so, we get started? Yes. Yay. I'm so excited. Same. I wore my I wore my chaotic evil shirt today. <laughs> Yay. So, the first step to building a character is going to be choosing its race. Now, different races have different advantages, so be sure to read these advantages carefully as they will influence how your character's race interacts with their class in step two. So, as you can see on the screen here, there is a ton, 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 ton of different races. And I'm just going to like go through really quick and tell you kind of what they are okay. and where they live. So the first one we have is an Aarakocra, and they're going to be like humanoid bird people. Um, they usually live in tall places like mountains and trees, um, and they basically just look like birds. That's the gist of it. They okay. look like birds that are the size of humans, and they walk on feet and all that stuff. 
Yeah. So next, we're going to have Dragonborn. And Dragonborn born look very much like dragons. Um, they stand like humans. Um, and they don't have wings or a tail, though. Okay. So some Dragonborns are going to be faithful servants to true dragons. And others form the ranks of soldiers in great wars. And others find themselves adrift with no clear calling in life. Now, dragons, Dragonborn, again, they look pretty much like dragons. <laughs> and they could be any color. There's, like, no specification. It's pretty cool. Okay. Those ones you can be really creative with. Now, there are some a little less like dwarves. So there are two subclasses of dwarves. There's a hill dwarf and a mountain dwarf. Um, a hill dwarf, um, they have keen senses, deep intuition, and a remarkable resilience. Um, the gold dwarves of Faroon in their mighty southern kingdom are hill dwarves and are exiled. Sorry, as are the exiled. Nidir and the debased Klar of the Kryn in the Dragonlace setting. They also live in like hilly areas. So mountain dwarves, they're gonna be strong and hardy, accustomed to life in a rugged terrain. Um, you're probably a little bit on the taller side for a dwarf and um, tend to lean towards a lighter coloration. The shield dwarves of the Northern Faroon, as well as the ruling Hylar clan and the noble Daywar clan of Dragonlace are mountain dwarves. Um, they, like I said, they live in the mountains. <laughs> so dwarves are skilled warriors, they're miners, and they're workers of stone and metal. Um, they stand under five feet tall. They are broad and compact, and they can weigh as much as a human, but they usually only stand about mm, two feet three feet tall ish okay um yeah so they're really brave they have lots of courage and they have tons of endurance and they're they they like can go tip for tat with anybody else um dwarven skin ranges from deep brown to pale hues tinted with red um but the most commons are going to be light brown or like deep tan like earth tones um, their hair is going to be like worn and long, but simple, usually black, gray, or brown, though paler dwarves often happen, happen to have red hair, um, and male dwarves value their beards highly and groom them carefully. So next is going to be the elven class. My girl is an elf. I've, I've played her with her for a little while. She's real cool. Um, with their unearthly grace and fine features, elves appear hauntingly beautiful to humans and members of many other races. They're slightly shorter than humans on average, ranging from well under five feet tall to just about six feet. Um, okay. They're more slender than humans, weighing about 100 to 145 pounds. Males and females are about the same height. Males are only marginally heavier than females. Um, elves, elves' coloration encompasses the normal human range and also includes skin tones and shades of copper, bronze, and almost like a bluish, blue-white, like so pale you're blue kind of looking. <laughs> okay. They can have um, blue or green hair or really, really any color hair. Um, they also have um, eyes like pools of liquid gold or silver. They have no facial hair and very little body hair. They uh, favor elegant clothing and bright colors, and they enjoy simple yet lovely jewelry. Now, there's three sub-races of elf. You have your Aldrin elf, or Eldrin elf, sorry. Um, and those are going to be creatures of magic with strong ties to nature. Eldrin live in Twilight Realm of the Feywild. So they're, like, kind of in the upside down, but kind of not. It's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> they live very deep in the forest. Um, their cities sometimes cross over to the material plane, appearing 
briefly in mountain valleys or deep forest glades before fading back into the Feywild. A high elf, which is my girl, she's a high elf. She's nobility, she's fancy. <laughs> um, you have a keen mind and a mastery of at least the basics of magic. In many of the worlds of D&D, there are two kinds of high elves. One is typically haughty and reclusive, being like believing that they're superior to others. So they're, and they're very, very high and mighty. They think they're better than non-elves and most other elves. Um, the other types are more common and much more friendly, and they often are encountered among other human races, unlike high elves. So the wood elf is the last one, and they have keen senses of intuition, and they are really fast. They carry your, your feet, woo, words, um, carry you quickly and stealthily through your native forests. In the Faerun, wood elves, also called wild elves, green elves, or forest elves, are reclusive and distrusting of non-elves. Okay. Uh, yeah. They're probably, like, the most common. <laughs> so then next is going to be Genasi, um, and they carry the power of the elemental planes of air, earth, fire, and water in their blood. Um, I'm not going to get into, like, all of them, except for, like, maybe a few little specifics for each one. Okay. Because um, they're pretty similar, except for a few small elements. So, um, Genasi inherit something from both sides of their dual nature. They resemble humans, but have unusual colored skin tone, usually red, green, blue, or gray. Um, and there's something usually kind of odd about them. Their elemental blood flowing through their veins manifests differently in each Genasi, and it's often as a magical power. So, they're usually seen in silhouette and can pass for humans. Um, those of earth or water tend to be heavier, while those of air and fire tend to be lighter. A given genasi may have features reminiscent of their mortal parents, um, pointed ears from an elf, a stockier frame, thick, thick hair from a dwarf, um, small hands and feet from a halfling, excitedly large eyes from a gnome, and so on. Um, some genasi live as outcasts, driven into exile for their unsettling appearance and strange magic, or assuming leadership of savage humanoids and weird cults in untamed lands. Others gain positions of great influence, especially where elemental beings are revered. A few Genasi live in the material plane uh, to find refuge in the households of their genie parents. So the four subclasses, as I mentioned, are fire, water, air, and earth. Um, for fire Genasi, they have a volatile mood and um, they tend to be more impatient and they like make snap judgments. And rather than hide their distinctive appearance, appearance, they like to show it off. They are like, look at me, everybody. Look at how cool I am. I'm so fly. That's kind of how they are. Okay. Um, for the water type, they are, um, you know, they like to wander and they're very independent. And others may think that you're selfish just because you're like so independent. You're like, I don't really care about anybody else. I'm going to do me, boo. Like, you're just chill. Like, yeah. Um, so for the air genasi, you're descended from the jinn. And as changeable as the weather, your moods shift from calm to wild and violent with little warning, but these uh, rarely last for long. So very moody. Um, and as an earth genasi, you're descended from the cruel and greedy Tao. Though you aren't necessarily evil, you have inherited some measure of control over the earth, revealing in superior strength and solid power. You tend to avoid rash decisions, pausing long enough to consider your options before taking action. So that's the Genasi, the Genasi okay. types. Next, we're gonna have gnome. Gnomes are pretty cool. There's two deep, su there's two sub races. Um, 
and then I think there's like one more with sub races, and then no, this is the last one with sub races. Then we just get into like get into it. So these are the well, long ones. Well, it says ones. the halfling has sub races here. Yeah, but that's that's. I'll, I'll, we'll get to it. That's that's different. Okay. <laughs> um. So this is like the last one with like s- real sub races. Okay. Okay. So a gnome's energy and enthusiasm for living shines through every inch of his or her tiny body. Gnomes average slightly over three feet tall and weigh 40 to 45 pounds. Their tan or brown faces are usually adorned with broad smiles beneath their prodigious noses. They have big noses. (laughs) Um, um, And their bright eyes shine with excitement. Their fair hair has a tendency to stick out in every direction as if expressing the gnome's insatiable interest in everything around. A gnome's personality is writ in large with his or her appearance. A male gnome's beard, in contrast to his wild hair, is kept carefully trimmed, but often styled into curious forks or neat points. So it's not like a garden gnome. Okay. <laughs> I know most people picture like, when. okay, in our campaign we have a gnome and his little character tile is like a garden gnome. It's the gnome meme. So oh every time we talk about gnomes, I just like, that's all I can think about, even though I know that's not right. But anyway, um, a gnome's clothing, though usually made in modest earth tones, is elaborately decorated with embroidery, embossing, or gleaming jewels. So there's two sub-races. There's the deep gnomes. So they're going to be forest gnomes and rock gnomes that are going to be most commonly encountered in the lands of surface worlds. Um, There's another sub-race of gnomes that are rarely seen by surface dwellers that are called deep gnomes, which are known as... I'm not even going to try to say that. Sverblin? Okay. Sure. I'm going I'm, I'm to go with that. Sverblin? I have no idea. I'm so sorry, y'all. <laughs> they're guarded and suspicious of outsiders, and they're cunning and tacturn, but can be just as kind-hearted, loyal, and compassionate as their surface cousins. So then you have the rock gnome, which is um, which has a natural inventiveness and hardiness beyond that of other gnomes. And most gnomes in the world of D&D are rock gnomes, including tinker gnomes of dragon lace setting. Um, gnomes are going to make their homes in hilly, wooded areas. They live underground, but get more fresh air than dwarves do because they enjoy um, the nature. They enjoy nature. They live on the world surface um, whenever they can. Their homes are well hidden, both by clever construction and simple illusions. Welcome visitors are quickly ushered into the bright, warm burrows. Those are not welcome are unlikely to find the burrows in the first place. Um, Gnomes who settle in human land are commonly gem cutters, engineers, sages, or tinkers. Some human families can uh, retain gnome tutors, ensuring that their pupils enjoy a mix of serious learning and delighted enjoyment. A gnome might tutor several generations of a single human family over the course of his or her long life. So next, we have the Goliath, and they have a, like, premium, they, like, put a, like, precedent, like, no, what's the right word I'm looking for? Like, priority. Their priority is self-sufficiency and, like, individuality, and they have a compulsion to keep score, counting their deeds, and tallying their accomplishments to, like, show off to others. Goliaths love to win, but they see defeat as a prod to improve their skills. They wander a bleak realm of dark rock wind and cold and their bodies look come on as if they're carved from mountains of stone and give them great physical power um they are at the highest mountain peaks dwell the reclusive goliaths so they are like 
they are very very uncommon and they chill in the mountains for the most part okay yeah so next we have the half elf so to humans half elves look like elves and to elves they look human of course um, in height, they're on par both with their parents, and half-elves really just, like, take the best parts of both of their parents and just kind of smash them together. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they're neither, like, they're neither as slender as elves nor as broad as humans, so they range from about 5 feet to 6 feet, um, from about 100 to 180 pounds, um, you know, same as, as like, human rules. Men's are, men are usually taller and a little bit heavier than women. Um, half-elf men do have facial hair. Sometimes they'll grow beards to mask their elven an- ancestry. Um, their coloration and features lie kind of between human and elf features. And they have a variety and even more pronounced than that found among either race. They tend to have their eyes of their, pa- of their elven parents, though. Um, half-elves have no land of their own, although they are welcome in human cities and somewhat less welcome in el- elven forests. In large cities, in regions where elves and humans interact often, half-elves are sometimes numerous enough to form small communities of their own, and they enjoy the company of other half-elves, and only the people, the only people who truly understand what it's like to live between these two worlds. Um, in most parts of the world, half-elves are uncommon enough that one might live for years without meeting another. Some half-elves prefer to avoid company, although wandering the wilds as trappers foresters, hunters, or adventurers, and visiting civilization only rarely. Like elves, they're driven by the wanderlust that comes of their longevity. Others, in contrast, throw themselves into the thick of society, putting on their charisma and social skills to use in diplomatic roles or as swindlers. So next we have the half-orc. Half-orcs are grayish in pigmentation. They have sloping foreheads, jutting jaws, prominent teeth, and towering builds to make their orcish heritage plain for all to see. Um, they stand between uh, 5 and 7 feet tall and usually weigh between 180 to 200 pounds. They uh, regard battle scars as tokens of pride and ornamental scars as things of beauty. Other scars, although um, mark an orc or half-orc as a former slave or a disgraced exile. So any orc that has any half orc that has lived among or near orcs has scars, whether they are marks of humiliation or pride, recounting their past exploits and injuries. Such a half orc living amongst humans might display these scars proudly or hide them in shame. So half orcs, you get to be kind of creative about your past and about your scars and about whether you want to show them off or not. Um, half orcs live most commonly among orcs. Of the other races, humans are most likely to accept them, and half-orcs are always, almost always live in human lands when not living among orcs, tri- orc tribes. Whether proving themselves through rough barbarian tribes or scrabbling to survive in the slums of larger cities, half-orcs get by on their physical might, their endurance, and their sheer determination that they inherit from their human ancestry. Next, we have halflings. So, Halflings are kind of small, and they survive in a world full of larger creatures by avoiding uh, notice or barring that avoiding offense. Um, Standing about three feet tall, they appear relatively harmless and have so managed to survive for centuries in the shadows. Um, They're inclined to be stout, weighing between 40 and 45 pounds. Halfling skin ranges from tail from... (laughs) That is not a word. (laughs) That is not a skin tone. (laughs) <laughs> halfling skin ranges from tan to pale 
that's what I was trying to say, with a, um, with a ruddy cast. Their hair is usually brown or sandy brown and wavy. They have brown or hazel eyes, and halfling men often sport long sideburns, but beards are, beards are rare, and mustaches are even more rare. So they like to wear simple, comfortable, and practical clothing, favoring bright colors. Halflings are adept to fit into a community of humans, dwarves, or elves, making themselves valuable and welcome. The combination of their inherent stealth and unassuming nature helps halflings to avoid unwanted attention. Halflings work readily with others. They're loyal to their best friends, whether halflings or otherwise. They can display um, marketable fero- remarkable ferocity with their friends, families, or communities are threatened. So they're like the Hufflepuff of the group. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so next, they also have like two sub-races, and it's kind of, but, but kind of not. They're, they're essentially the same. It's just one is a little heavier than the other, and like one is a little stealthier than the other. Okay. So a lightfoot halfling, you can hide from notice really easily and like you're much more stealthy um you're also able to get into forgotten realms and lightfoot halflings have spread the farthest and are most common um then you have the stout halfling which is a little bit hardier on average and they have some resistance to poison um some say that stouts have dwarven blood in the forgotten realms these halflings are called strong hearts and they're most common in the south so it's they're kind of but they're not really that different okay that's why I was confused when it said two sub races and you were done. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier. They're like kind of, but they're not too different. So yeah, that's why. Okay. So next we have humans. Humans, super boring, right? Yeah. Humans are adaptable, ambitious. Um, they're people among most people, common races, whatever drives them, you know, human are innovators. They're achievers. They're the pioneers of the world. Um, and then they're a little different because they have something called a variant race, which is like, basically just like a superhuman it's like if you want to play if i wanted to play as like captain america i would be a variant human okay that's basically what it is so basically you get plus one to all of your ability scores and an extra language which is like not that much okay and then we got two more um we got a tiefling which is a humanoid with devilish ancestry they're derived from human bloodlines, and in the broadest possible sense, they still look human. However, their infernal heritage has left a clear imprint on their appearance. Tieflings have large horns um, that take any variety of shapes. Some have curling horns like a ram. Other have straight tail and horn. Sorry, straight and tall horns like a gazelle. Some spiral upward like an antelope. Um, they have thick tails. Four to five feet long, which lash or coil around their legs when they get upset or nervous. Their canine teeth are sharply pointed and their eyes are solid colors. Black, red, white, silver, or gold with no visible sclera or pupil. Um, Their skin tones cover the full range of human coloration, but also include various shades of red and other colors. Their hair cascading down from behind their horns is usually dark from black or brown to dark red, blue, or purple. Um, tieflings subsist, subsist in small minorities found mostly in human cities or towns, often in the roughest quarters of those places where they grow up to be swindlers, thief, or crime lords. Sometimes they live among the other minority populations in enclaves, where they are treated with more mis- respect. Lacking a homeland, tieflings know that they have to make their own way in the world and that they have to be strong to survive. 
They're not quick to trust anyone who claims to be a friend, but when a tiefling's companions demonstrate that they trust him or her, the tiefling learns to extend the same trust to them. And once tiefling gives somebody loyalty, the tiefling is a firm friend or ally for life. Uh, to be greeted with stares and whispers, to suffer violence and insult on the street, to see mistrust and fear in every eye, this is the lot of the tiefling. And last but not least, we have the variant Asimar. And Asimar are, ex are placed in the world to serve as guardians of law and good. Their patrons expect them to strike at evil, lead by example, and further the cause of justice. Whereas tiefling have fiendish blood in their veins, Asimar are the descendants of celestial beings. These folk generally appear as glorious as as glorious humans with lustrous hair, flawless skin, and piercing eyes. So basically, goals. <laughs> okay. Asimar often attempt to pass as human in order to right wrongs and defend goodness on the material plane without drawing undue attention to their celestial heritage. They strive to fit into society, although they usually rise to the top, becoming revered leaders and honorable heroes. So now, we get to pick. Okay. Hmm. Um, the one that was, um, the two, well, the two that were, um, sticking out to me originally are, um, the elf and the genasi. Yeah, they're pretty cool. But I think I'm gonna lean toward genasi. Okay. And the air one sounded pretty cool. Okay, that, yeah. I'm gonna go with a lightfoot halfling. Because okay. I want to be adorable. <laughs> so. So then... Um, on the next page... Do I click choose race? Yeah. Okay. And then on the next page, you'll see, like, a few other details about your, um, your particular race that you've chosen. And then if we go to next, we're going to choose our classes. Okay. So, there are 12 classes in D&D &D 5th E. That rhymes. D&D &D 5th E. That's yeah. cute. Okay, so the first one is going to be a barbarian. Now, not every member of the tribe's deemed barbarian. Like, you know, when you look at somebody and you're like, yeah. wow, that person's a barbarian. They're not actually, they don't necessarily have to be, like, of the barbarian class. Okay. So a true barbarian among these people is uncommon and is a skilled fighter, and he or she plays with a similar role as a protector of the people and a leader in times of war. Life in the wild places of the world is fraught with peril, Rival tribes, deadly weather, and terrifying monsters. Barbarian chain charge headlong into danger so that their people don't have to. Um, their courage in the face of danger makes barbarians perfectly suited for adventuring. Wandering is often a way of life for their native tribes, and they are rootless. They have a rootless life of an adventurer, and if they have little hardship. Some barbarians miss the close-knit family structures of the tribe, but eventually find them replaced by bonds formed among the members of their adventuring parties. The next one you have, which I think you're going to like a lot, <laughs> is a bard. That's what, one of, that's what my main character is. Okay. Um, they are the masters of song and speech, and the magic they contain. Uh, bards say that the multiverse was spoken into existence and that the words of gods gave it shape that echoes these primordial words of creation still resound through the cosmos, and the music of bards is an attempt to snatch and harness those echoes subtly woven into their spells and powers. The greatest strength of bards is their sheer versatility. Many bards prefer to stick to the sidelines in combat, using their magic to inspire their allies and hinder their foes from a distance. 
but bards are capable of defending themselves in melee if necessary. Using their magic to bolster their swords and armor, their spells lean towards charms and illusion rather than blatantly destructive spells. They have a wide-ranging knowledge of many subjects and a natural aptitude that lets them do almost anything well. Bards become masters of the talents they set their minds to, perfecting from musical performance to esoteric knowledge. So I see them, for the most part, as like perfectionists, a little bit of Hermione Granger, okay. plus music. Plus and bards, music. bards are like culturally known in the community as like, they like to seduce people a lot. <laughs> That's kind of the that's kind of the little community thing is that bards will seduce anything that lives. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> Okay, next is going to be the cleric. Divine magic as the name suggests is the power of the gods flowing from them into the world. Clerics are conduit for that power, manifesting it as miraculous effects. The gods don't grant this power to everyone who seeks it, but only to those chosen to fulfill a high calling. Harnessing drive, divine magic doesn't rely on study or training. A cleric might learn formulaic prayers and ancient rites, but the ability to cast cleric spells relies on devotion and an intuitive sense of the deity's wishes. Clerics combine the helpful magic of healing and inspiring their allies with spells that harm and hinder foes. They can provoke an awe, they can provoke on dread, like curses of plague or poison, and even call down flames from heaven to consume their enemies. For those evildoers who will benefit most from a mace to the head, clerics depend on their combat training to let them wade into melee with the power of the gods on their side. Next is going to be the druid class. Um, for druids, nature exists in a precarious balance. The four elements make up a world, air, fire, earth, and water, and must remain in equilibrium. If one element were to gain power over the others, the world would be destroyed, drawn into one of the elemental planes, and broken apart into its component elements. Thus, Druid expose the cults of element, elemental evil and others who promote one element to the exclusion of others. Druids are also concerned with the delicate ecological balance that sustains plant and animal life and the need for civilized folk to live in harmony with nature, not in opposition to it. Druids accept that which, which is cruel in nature um, and they hate that which is unnatural, including aberrations, such as beholders and mind flayers and undead, such as zombies and vampires. Um, druids sometimes lead raids against such creatures, especially when the monsters encroach on the druids' territory. Druids are often found guarding sacred sites or watching over regions of unspoiled nature, but when a significant danger arises, threatening nature's balance or the lands they protect, druids take on a more active role in combating the threat as adventurers. Next is going to be the fighter. Um, fighters learn the basics of all combat styles. Every fighter can swing an axe, fence with a rapier, wield a longsword or a greatsword, use a bow, and even trap foes with a net to some degree of skill. Likewise, the fighter is adept with shields and every form of armor. Beyond that basic degree of familiarity, it, each fighter specializes in a certain style of combat. Some put concentrate on archery, while some prefer two weapons at once, and some augment their martial skills with magic. The combination of broad general ability and extensive specialization makes fighter superior combatants on the battlefield in dungeons alike. So the next one we're going to talk about is monks. Um, monks make a careful study of magical energy that most Masonic traditions call key. 
This energy is an element of the magic that suffuses the multiverse, specifically the element that flows through living bodies. Monks harness this power within themselves to create magical effects and exceed their body's physical capabilities, and some of their special attacks can hinder the flow of ki in their opponents. Using this energy, monks channel uncanny speed and strength into their unarmed strikes. As they gain experience, their, ma their martial training and their mastery of ki gives them more power over the bodies and the bodies of the foe. Next is going to be paladins, and a paladin swears to uphold justice and righteousness, to stand with the good of things and of the world against the encroaching darkness, and to hunt the forces of evil wherever they lurk. Different paladins focus on various aspects of the cause of righteousness, but all are bound by the oaths to grant them power to do their sacred work. Although many paladins are devoted to gods of gods, sorry, gods of good, a paladin's power comes from as much from a commitment to justice itself as it does from a god. Paladins train for years and learn the skills of combat and mastering a variety of weapons and armor. Even so, their martial skills are secondary to the magical power they yield. Power to heal the sick and injured, to smite the wicked and the undead, and to protect the innocent for those who join the fight for good justice. And the last one is going to be the ranger. They're going to be warriors of the wilderness. Rangers specialize in hunting the monsters that threaten the edges of civilization. Humanoid raiders, rampaging beasts and monstrosities, terrible giants, and deadly dragons. They learn to track their quarry as, as a predator does, moving stealthily through the wilds and hiding themselves in brush and rubble. Rangers focus on their... Hmm, I said that weird. Rangers focus on their combat training on techniques that are particularly useful against their specific favored foes. Thanks to their familiarity with the wilds, rangers acquire the ability to cast spells that harness nature's power as much as the druid does. Their spells, like their combat abilities, emphasize speed, stealth, and the hunt. A ranger's abilities and talents are honed with the deadly focus of the grim tasks of protecting the borderlands. So, now we get to pick which one we're going to go with. Yeah. I know. And it's very <laughs> difficult to choose. I think we got to think about, like, what fits the type of character that we're playing as most. Right? So, like, an Air Genasi, right? They're, like, kind of temperamental, a little bit, like, more, you know, sassy. Yeah. So, something like a monk would not be good. Because to be a monk, no. you got to be, like, really, like, into your, like, you got to be really, yeah. like, calm. Right. So something that's a little bit more, um, I don't know, that has a little bit less control, <laughs> like a barbarian or possibly even a ranger that might work better. OK. Yeah. Or maybe even a fighter would work, too. But, you know, if, if it works, like if you're like, you know what, I'm going to make an air genasi that is like the chillest air genasi ever. <laughs> go for it. I mean, that's the whole beauty of this game is that you get to choose. Right. Yeah. And you're right. I really liked the bard. <laughs> I told you. Bards are fun. And they're very impulsive. So it works. Yeah. I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go with a bard. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with a druid. Okay. Because they're, they're pretty chill. So then we're going to click add class. Okay. Yeah. I'm already, like, lost with this step. I'm like, What? <laughs> Don't worry, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll walk you through it. Hold on. Okay. Okay. So then, in, once you select your class, there may be some options that you have to choose. 
So for a druid, well, I think actually for every character, it's going to make you choose a proficiency. And a proficiency, it basically, you get to choose a skill that you want to be proficient in. And it will show you which ones that your type of character would be more inclined to be skilled in. Also, as a bard, you get to choose a musical instrument. You get to choose three. Okay. It's very fun. Um, And then for other classes, it may be different. You may get to choose a starter weapon for maybe a fighter class or for a bard or for a barbarian. It just, you know, it depends on each one. Everyone's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. What's a loot? The loot is like a, it's like a, if I'm not mistaken, it's like a, it's like a, like a guitar, like a, like oh. a medieval guitar. Yeah. Okay. And then for my skills that I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose um, proficiency in animal handling. And I think I'm going to go with perception because you always need a proficiency in perception because that helps you a lot when it comes to puzzles and figuring stuff out and just determining whether you're in a good situation or bad situation. So perception is very nice to have. Okay. So you only get to choose two with yours? I only get to choose two, but I believe I get you to get choose to choose three. three. And you get to choose out of all of the skills because bards are kind of a jack of all trades, Okay, which is fun. Um, so it really th- depends on... Should I go through all the um, skills for our, our audio listeners? Yes, for sure. So there's acrobatics, animal handling, arcana. Mm-hmm, that's going to be okay. the study of magic. Ooh. Athletics, deception, history, insight, intimidation, investigation, medicine, nature, perception, performance, persuasion, religion, and sleight of hand. Yep. Okay. I think there's actually more if you scroll down. Oh. Stealth and survival. Yep, there you go. There we go. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a ton of skills. Okay. So it just really depends on how you want to play your character. Like, if you want to play the, like, you know, the more, the bards who lean more towards seduction, (laughs) then, like, go for it, man. Like, do do what you want to do. And, like, those would be more, you'd want to put your skills into more probably like persuasion. persuasion. Yeah. And deception. Because, you know, you're going to be yeah. like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a rich person. <laughs> you know, trying, to, trying yeah. to deceive people into liking you, that kind of thing. Okay. But if you want to, you, you play it how you want to play it, right? Like, for my yeah. bard, she's a little bit more shy and she's a little bit more soft-spoken and she doesn't like to put herself out there so much. So she put all of her skills into, like, intelligence and into being a... She's a total bookworm. So I put all my skills into, like, history and arcana and, um, you know, investigation. And I have, like, a plus 20 perception. I have, like, a... like a No, it's not plus 20. It's, like, a plus 15 perception or something crazy high oh, like wow. that. Yeah. Um... So I think I kind of want to go more so like you with like more so like of a bookworm kind of shy. Mm -hmm. A little bit more soft spoken. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So then you'd want to put it into like probably history and maybe medicine if that's the road you want to go down. Why did it? It's going to load because you got to You got to go to a new selector. Oh, okay. (laughs) What did I do? So what would nature mean? So nature checks are going to be like if you know 
if you understand the area around you, the plant life, the animals. Um, in our campaign, I've used nature checks to see if I can like determine what a creature is. And I use it a lot to see if I can be friends with those creatures and adopt them. I have like so many pets. I want all of the pets. And Zach gets mad at me because I'm like, I want to adopt all of the animals. And he's like, no. <laughs> But animal handling would also be more geared toward that. But nature is, like, definitely testing, like, your knowledge of animals and nature and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, I think I'll do nature and then Mm -hmm. arcana. Okay, yeah. And then, yeah, arcana is going to be this, like, understanding magic and how magical things work. So the first one that when I was looking at it, um, the musical instruments, which for those of you who are audio listeners are bagpipes, drum, dulcimer, yeah, flute, horn, lute, lyre, lyre, whatever, lyre, lyre. Yeah. that's definitely what it is, yep. um, pan flute, sham, sh- yep, and viol, yep. The first one that came to mind was pan flute yeah living my like peter pan life yeah i'm a windy cosplayer i (laughs) yeah yeah um then i think i'm gonna go with liar and then a lute to the fancy guitar there's the fancy guitar there you go (laughs) what does this mean available at higher levels so those are going to be um, skills that you get as you level up and as you play and okay. as you earn, like, as you reach new levels. So right now we're just going to create a level oh, one character. and then it says spells. Oh. Yep. Add spells? Um, yeah, you can add spells. We'll do that later, though, because... I, well, I guess we could do it now. Okay. It just it takes a minute because you got to read them all. Oh. Oh, jeez. And there's a lot to choose from. So for... Um, for the druid, you can have two cantrips and um, one prepa- uh, prepared spell. And okay. for the bard, uh, bard it you is get... two cantrips and four known spells. Yeah. And so a cantrip is a spell that you can do whenever you want in battle, and it doesn't ca- cost you a spell slot, um, okay. which is a game mechanic we'll get into later. Um, but they do cost you an action. Um, but cantrips you can do whenever you would like. Okay. So the ones that I can do as a bard um, are dancing lights, light, mage hand, mending, message, minor illusion, pre- prestidigitation. Yeah. I saw a big <laughs> word and I was like, I don't know this. Uh-huh. Thunderclap, true strike, and vicious mockery. Vicious Mockery is amazing because you basically just roast somebody <laughs> into madness. It, it's real fun. What's Dancing Vicious... Lights and why does it have a C next to it? Um, so that means click it. So Dancing Lights is a con- concentration spell. It's concentration up to a minute. So as long as you're concentrating on the spell, um, it will keep going up to a minute. Um, okay. And each round in combat is six seconds. So ten rounds. Um... The only thing with concentration spells is that if you break your concentration either by getting hit or by wanting to do a different action, then they cease to continue. Okay. 
So the cantrips for Druid, there's a lot. You got Thunderclap, Shayla, uh, Shape Water, Resistance, Produce Flame, Poison Spray, Mold Earth, Mending, Magic Stone, Gust, Guidance, Frostbite, Druid Craft, Create Bonfire, and Control Flames. So for our listeners at home and for those of you who are watching us on YouTube, hey YouTube, um, I would highly recommend going and reading these on your own because it's going to take us forever to get through these because there's so much information about each one. It's so hard just to condense it. And it's so specific to each one because different, um, different magic users get different spells and different abilities. So it really depends on which one you choose. So um, I definitely recommend this is something that you go look into on your own. So I'm going to choose Poison Spray, and then I think, as much as I dislike Thunderclap for how many times it's gotten me, I think I'm going to choose Thunderclap. And then I get to choose one um, prepared spell, and you get to choose four. Four, right? Yes. But yours are known spells, not prepared spells. Yeah, mine are known spells. So... The difference between known spells and prepared spells is that some classes know their entire spell list and they can use that whole spell list for their spell casting. Now, some classes have to prepare spells ahead of time and learn them and um, they can prepare a number of spells in their mind and then cast these prepared spells um, with their spell slots. Okay. So it's just the difference of how, how they're in our brains. Okay. So I've chosen my four spells, and they are Animal Friendship, Comprehend Languages, Fairy Fire, and Identify. All great ones. Wonderful. Alrighty. So, next we're going to move on to Ability Scores. So, really quick, before we get into Ability Scores, um, we have to understand what the six basic abilities are. So you have strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Okay. So there is a very well-known text post on the internet, and it explains these by using a tomato. (laughs) Okay. Let me explain. So strength is being able to crush a tomato. Dexterity is being able to dodge a tomato. Constitution is being able to eat a bad tomato. Intelligence is knowing tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. Charisma is being able to sell a tomato-based fruit salad. Okay. That's that's how it goes. So um, your ability scores determine which skills get what modifier. For example, my character Flestra, who I've been talking about, has a level 19 intelligence score, which means that she gets an automatic plus four on any skill that uses intelligence as its modifier, such as history or arcana. So there are three methods to choosing or to getting your ability scores. So the first one is standard array or SA. Um, for SA, your DM will say, okay, you guys get to choose which ability you want at an eight, at a level eight, a level 10, a level 12, 13, 14, and 15. Um, rolled manual is the next one, and that's the most popular run. Um, so you take four six-sided die, add up the three largest numbers, and that's what you get for that ability score. Um, the last one is going to be point buy, um, which is you're given a certain amount of points by your DM, and then you can buy which skills you want in a higher number based off of what your DM has assigned to each skill level. So D&D Beyond uses a baseline of eight for each skill and gives you 27 points with nine 
uh, with a 9 being 1 point, um, 10 being 2 points, and so on until a 15, which is 9 points. So what we're going to do is we're going to do um, rolled or manual because that's just the best I, in my opinion, it's the best way to do it. Okay. And then if you have D&D and Beyond, um, you can basically just, like, click the little roll button, and it'll roll dice for you, which is really cool. And you can see the little dice rolling on your screen. It's real fun to watch. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, or if you are like me at home, um, I prefer using actual dice, but I don't want to go grab them and make noise, like, so much noise because they're loud. Um, so I'm just going to roll them roll the six on my screen and then so for each roll, roll for now yeah click roll for all of them yeah and then for each roll you get to um decide for which skill you want them <laughs> oh you just scroll down okay so you see where they're like the little arrow dashes are underneath each yes. little numbers so you get to choose which one you want so str is strength um dex is dexterity um con constitution int intelligence wis wisdom cha charisma okay and it just adds up with the um race bonus right yeah it'll add it automatically oh, and okay. don't worry about that so for those of you who are doing it um, manually, you may see that your specific race or class may have a bonus or modifier to a skill. So for, um, you know, for a uh, barbarian, you may have a bonus to your strength skill. Um, for magic users or smaller people, you may use a, you may have a bit bonus to your dexterity. So for a halfling, I have a racial bonus of two to my dexterity and a one to my charisma. For um, Air Genasi, the racial bonus is one for dexterity and two for constitution. So then you're going to click apply ability scores. So for my character, I put um, my strength, I rolled a nine. For dexterity, I rolled a 13. Constitution, 11. Intelligence, 13. Wisdom, 11. And charisma, 15. So for strength, um, I rolled a 10. For dexterity, I rolled a 14. I rolled a 14. Constitution, I rolled a 13. Intelligence, I rolled a 17. Wisdom, I rolled a 15. And charisma, I rolled a 13. And then if you look at um, your little charts, you'll see you have modifiers and like bonuses to yes. some and it'll improve your score. So for like your total scores, that's what's your, what your modifier is based off of. So that's going to be important later because that will determine which skills have that modifier on okay. them. So for my character, anything strength-based, I'm going to have a minus one modifier. So let's say I roll like... A 15 that means I only actually rolled a 14 okay yeah or like it works the other way around too right if I had if I rolled something that was dexterity based um and I rolled a 10 I actually rolled a 12 because I have a plus two on my dexterity okay so like me with intelligence if I rolled a 10 I'd have a 13 yeah exactly I have no awesome. minuses Awesome. Good job. That's amazing. Because I have one. <laughs> and I have a plus zero. I have two plus zeros. I have one plus zero, and it's in strength. 
Um, so the next step is going to be a description where you get to be super creative about your character. What do they look like? What's their backstory? You know, what's going on with them? So um, personally, I like to play with characters for a little while before I develop a super detailed backstory. So I usually start with more of a vague idea and then fill it in as we keep going. Okay. Um, this is also the step where you choose your character's alignment. Now, alignment is going to determine how your character approaches things. And there are nine alignments on the alignment chart. There is lawful good, lawful neutral, lawful evil, chaotic good, true neutral, neutral evil, chaotic good, chaotic neutral, and chaotic evil. Now, I'm going to explain those a little bit. So, um, lawful good always do the right thing by society. They always follow the rules. So think like Superman, Captain America in First Avenger, or Hermione Granger, right? Okay. Um, lawful neutral is, that's going to be a character that believes in order. So some of their actions seem good to some people and seem evil to other people. So that's going to be sort of like Javert or like the TVA from Loki. Yeah. Right? They just, they just do what they got to do, yeah. right? Following the rules. Um, a lawful evil character, um, they're going to operate within a strict code of laws and traditions. Upholding these values um, by these is more important than anything, even the lives of others. They may not consider themselves to be evil, but they may, and they may believe what they're doing is right. So that's going to be like Darth Vader or like Umbridge. Okay. Um, next is going to be neutral good, and they do their best to help others, and they help because they want to. So that's going to be like Spider-Man or like Harry Potter. Okay. Then you get true neutral. They don't pick sides. They're fair and pragmatic. Um, they don't see a need to hold up laws, but they also don't see a need to blatantly disobey them. So that's going to be like Laura Croft, Juliet, or um, Klaus from the Umbrella Academy. Okay. <laughs> um, next is going to be neutral evil. Neutral evil characters are selfish. Their actions are driven by their own wants, whether that's power, greed, attention, or something else. They follow laws that align with their wants. So that's going to be like Jabba the Hutt, Cruella de Vil, or Peter Pettigrew. Okay. And then next is going to be chaotic good. They do what their conscience tells them for the greater good. They don't follow the rules, but they do it to help others. So that's going to be like um, Robin Hood, um, Peter Quill, or Mary Poppins. Next is going to be chaotic neutral. And this is what a lot of people like. Most people choose chaotic neutral characters. Um, so chaotic neutral characters are free spirits. They do what they want, but don't seek to disrupt the usual norms and laws of society. So think Jack Sparrow, Harley Quinn, Thor, that kind of vein. Okay. Um, last is going to be chaotic evil characters. Like my shirt says, chaotic evil. <laughs> um, chaotic evil characters care only for themselves with a complete disregard for all laws and order and for the welfare and freedom of others. They harm others out of anger or just for fun. So Bellatrix, um, the Joker, or Loki. Not so much now, Loki. More a little bit earlier, Loki. Okay, so like First Avengers, Loki. Yeah, like First Avengers, Loki. Okay, not a little bit, a little bit of a not not show Loki, movies Loki. Yeah. More yeah, like Sylvie, like, maybe in the shows. Yes, very similar to Sylvie. Okay. Yes. You see, I got it into a Loki. Variant. There you go. There you go. Um, Spoiler alert for the Loki show. <laughs> <laughs> nah. 
Although exciting, when choosing your character's alignment, you also have to look into what would suit them best. For example, a paladin is pretty much almost always going to be lawful, whereas a tiefling would almost always be chaotic. Yeah. Um, there's a great explanation on the website called um, My Kind of Meeple. That's with an M, M-E-E-P-L-E. Um, they have great in-depth explanations on how to play each alignment, and I'm going to put those in the links for this episode. I'm going to choose neutral good. Let me think. I feel like my character is going to be very much... So I don't even know. She doesn't... She lawful Like, I guess good. she would be lawful good. Yeah, okay. She's like... Yeah. She's lawful good. Whereas mine is a lot of, like, the Peter Parker type. So when you said that, I was like, okay, well, neutral good. You're like, there we go. There yeah. we go. And then the rest of it is going to be really creative. There is a, there's a thing called lifestyle. Yeah. And that basically... You choose basically how you start out. Okay. Um, it basically like shows like where your place is in the world, I guess. So I think for my character, I think she's gonna be probably either modest or comfortable. Okay. What do you suggest for me? Um, I mean it really depends on like what you want your backstory to be. Okay. It doesn't really change much about it doesn't really depend more on the character, it's more okay. on the backstory of the character. I'm in between comfortable and wealthy. Up to you. It's up to how, to how you want to play the character. I'll be wealthy. Okay. So then we got like physical characteristics and personal characteristics. And again, those are going to be something that you really get to decide based off of how your care, which what your character is. Oh, so something also to choose um, when you're looking at your um, character description is you get to choose a background for your character. And each background basically gives you a different way to live your life so there's going to be acolyte a criminal or spy folk hero haunted one noble sage or soldier so an acolyte um they're going to be somebody who's spent their life in service to a temple of a specific god or a pantheon of gods um, and they act as an intermediary between the realm of holy and the immortal world performing sacred rites and offering sacrifices in order to conduct worshipers in the presence of the divine um so that's how that's going to be. Then you have a criminal or spy, which is going to be um, an experienced criminal with a history of breaking the law. You spend a lot of time among other criminals and have contacts within the criminal underworld. You're far closer than most people to the world of murder, theft, violence that pervades the underbelly of civilization. And you've helped, you've survived up to this point by flouting rules and regulations of society. Next is the folk hero. You come from a humble social rank, but you are destined for so much more. Already the people of your home or village regard you as their champion, and your destiny calls you to stand against the tyrants and monsters that threaten common folk everywhere. Next, there's haunted one. You're haunted by something so terrible you dare not speak of it. You've tried to bury it and run away from it to no avail. Whatever this thing is haunts you, it can't be slain with a sword or banished with a spell. It might come to you in a shadow or on the wall, a blood-curdling nightmare, a memory that refuses to die, or a demonic whisper in the dark. The burden has taken its toll, isolating you from most people and making you question your sanity. You must find a way to overcome it before it destroys you. Next is noble. You understand wealth, power, and privilege. You carry a noble title, and your family owns land, collects taxes, and wields significant political influence. You might be a pampered aristocrat, unfamiliar with work or discomfort, a former merchant just elevated to nobility, or a disinherited scoundrel with a disproportionate sense of entitlement. Or you could be an honest, hardworking landowner who cares deeply about the people who live and work on your land, keenly aware of your responsibility to them. Next is going to be a sage. And 
sages spend years of learning the lore of the multiverse and you scoured manuscripts studied scrolls and listened to your greatest experts on the subject that interests you your efforts have made you a master in your fields of study and last but not least is going to be soldier and soldiers um war has been your life as long as you can remember you trained as a youth studied the use of weapons and armor learned basic survival techniques including how to stay alive on the battlefield you might have been a part of standing a part of a standing national army or a mercenary company or perhaps a member of the local militia who rose to prominence during recent war. So I think for my character, I'm going to go with Folk Hero. Because I think her family thinks she's so cool and so fancy. But she's just like, I'm just I'm just doing the right thing, you guys. <laughs> and then I think I'm going to choose Noble. Mm, that's not what I was expecting. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought I you know. were going to choose Sage. I'm in between Noble and Sage, honestly. Oh no. Yeah. I, I, that's what sage. I <laughs> yeah. Wait, it's a skill pro Ah. <laughs> yeah, and then you get to choose a skill proficient a skill proficiency. Um you get to choose a few for a, I, a sage. I choose two and then and two languages. Yeah, and then for a folk hero you get to choose one skill proficiency and a tool proficiency. Languages. Are there any that use? I mean, I would recommend, oh gosh, I don't even know. It really depends on your DM. Like, particularly for my DM, he doesn't like it that I always want to go to the library. So he always picks, like, the most random, obscure languages that he knows I don't know. <laughs> and then skill proficiencies, it's the same ones as earlier. Yeah. So I can choose more? Yeah, you get to choose more, or you could choose the same ones. You could just keep boosting that same one okay. if you'd like. Like, I boosted... Um, actually, it's not letting me choose some of my same ones. Yeah, it's so, not letting me choose um, history, I know. Just kidding. So you get to choose ones that you haven't already boosted. Okay. Um, so that's going to be, you know, there's the list there, and you get to choose those. Yeah. I think I'm going to do Insight. I think I'm going to do stuff. And then... So, for my skill proficiency, I chose stealth. And for my tool proficiency, I chose uh, painter supplies. I don't know what languages to choose. But for my skill proficiencies, I chose insight and medicine. Nice. Let's see. And then, oh. once you choose your background, there'll be um, suggested personality traits. Um... So, um, on D&D &D and Beyond, there is a thing where you could basically, either you choose two that you like, or you select a random one by clicking the random button, um, at least for the personality traits. Then there are ideals and bonds and flaws, and those are also, you can, you choose one of each of those. So, my background is Sage. So, with Sage, um, as Gabby said earlier, you spent years learning the lore of the multiverse, you scoured manuscripts, studied scrolls, and listened to the greatest experts on the subjects that interest you. Your efforts have, ma have made you a master in your fields of study. So you get to choose two skill proficiencies, and I chose insight and medicine, and then two languages, and I chose elvish and abyssal. That's how you say it, right? Yeah. Okay. So then character details, I chose neutral good, so the Peter Parker type. 
mm-hmm. and then I chose wealthy for my lifestyle. And then physical characteristics. She has silver hair. I think almost like, have you seen my crosshair videos? Mm-hmm. When I'm imagining her, I kind of think like that, like short wig I use for the crosshair. Okay. Okay, cute. Yeah. Um, pale blue skin and then blue eyes. She's five foot, um, five foot four. Why did I put centimeters? I definitely meant inches. What the heck? Um, 90 pounds, um, 25 years old and female. Personal, um, characteristics. Her personality traits are that I'm willing to listen to every side of an argument before I make my own judgment. And I'm used to helping out those who aren't as smart as I am. And I patiently explain anything and everything to others. So, and then her ideals are knowledge. The path to power and self-improvement is through knowledge. And it's neutral. Bonds. I've been searching my whole life for the answer to a certain question. And flaws. I can't keep a secret to save my life or anyone else's. <laughs> Fun. Yeah. So my character. I have to give her a name. I don't know what her name is. I know. I I, I still don't know my name. I liked, I, I clicked randomized, and the first one I kind of liked, and now I'm mad I didn't keep it. It was Kilthy Shadowick, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. I like that. Um, Can I just so say something? Her, so my randomized so, one, the first one was Tempest. That's uh, my pastor's middle child's name. That's crazy. <laughs> just gonna, ooh, I like this, Aviate. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. That was the second one. That nice. I like that. I'm going to... Yeah. Yeah. Aviate is her name. Okay, cool. I'm going to stick with Kilthy. I think that was cute. Kilthy Shadowick. So her background is she's a folk hero. Um, her skill proficiency that I added is stealth. I also gave her painter supplies. She comes from a rustic... Or she has rustic hospitality. So she comes from the rank of common folk. You fit along them with ease. Um... And her character details she's lawful good she has a comfortable lifestyle and her physical characteristics are she has a natural reddish brownish hair um she has tan skin hazel eyes she's two foot six so she's on the smaller side um she weighs 40 pounds she's about 30 years old and she's female her personality traits are she's confident in her own abilities and she does what she can to instill confidence in others she has a strong sense of fair play and always tries the tries to find the most equitable situation solution to arguments um her ideals are respect people deserve to be treated with dignity and respect which is a good ideal um her bonds are she has or her bond is i have my family but i have no idea where they are one day i hope to see them again Mm -hmm. and her flaws are is or sorry her flaw is i have a weakness for the vices of the city especially a hard drink so maybe she has a little past of she had to go to aa once or twice before so yeah now the next step is equipment so you get to pick um your starting equipment um so so you're gonna click equipment okay yeah and this will give you your basic starting equipment for your character what they can have okay so there are going to be some options you can have and then there are some that are going to be like that's just what you got what does any simple weapon mean does it just mean like anything um, yeah, it'll say any simple weapon, and then if you choose it, um, you can choose which one you would like. 
Um, and the see. options are going to be dagger, club, great axe, hand axe, javelin, light hammer, mace, quarterstaff, sickle, spear, crossbow, light, dart, shortbow, sling, boomerang, or a yaklawa. Okay. I don't know what that is. I don't know how to say that. I don't either. I'm just going to look up a picture yeah. and I'll put it in post. I'm, it's this. Yeah. I have no idea what that is. More work I for think, me. <laughs> I'm debating. I think I'm going to choose a crossbow, a light crossbow. Okay, so it looks like a yakuwa, or however you pronounce it, is like a spear. Interesting. Okay. Y- yikla? I have no idea. I don't know. I like my archery girls. Um, So I think I'm going to give her a short bow. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, so we're both going to be rangers. Oh, no. Oh. I mean, which is fine. It's just I also have a dagger, so I can use that, too. Okay. And you also are going to get an option. You also have daggers. What? Do I? You You also have daggers. You have leather armor and a dagger? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so you also have daggers. So maybe I'll choose a different melee weapon. Maybe I'll choose... Mm, I'm kind of sad. I don't get my flail. I love having a flail. In, as in one of my campaigns, I play a barbarian, and she has a flail, oh. and I love it. <laughs> so then next, it says a diplomat's pack or an entertainer's pack. It says it includes a chest, two cases for maps and scrolls, a set of fine clothes, a bottle of ink, an ink pen, a lamp, two flasks of oil, five sheets of paper, a vial of perfume, sealing wax, and soap. Nice. And then an entertainer's pack, just, I'll just read it off again. It includes a backpack, a bedroll, two costumes, five candles, five days of rations, a water skin, and a disguise kit. I'm going to choose a diplomat's pack for my sage. Awesome. Because, you know, the scrolls. Yeah. And then for my character, I get to, I have a leather armor and explorer's pack, which includes a backpack, a bedroll, mess kit, a tinderbox, ten torches, ten days of rations, and a water skin. Um, the pack also has 50 feet of hemp and rope strapped to the side of it. And then I get to choose a druidic focus. So I get to choose like an item that I like basically use to focus my magic on and like use to like you yeah. know pew my magic throw my magic and I chose a wand you see and I can <laughs> choose a musical instrument and I'm choosing a pan flute there you go so, so the next is going to be um, the starting equipment for your background. So the folk hero starting equipment is a set of artisan's tools, one of your choice, a shovel, an iron pot, a set of common clothes, and a pouch containing 10 gold pieces. Okay, and for a sage, it is a bottle of black ink, a quill, a small knife. Oh, wow, so I have a dagger, a small knife, and um, a long sword. You can't use the small knife in okay. combat, though. It's only for, it's like a hunting knife. Oh, okay. A letter from a dead colleague possessing or posing a question you have not been able to answer. Ooh. A mm-hmm. set of common clothes and a pouch containing 10 gold pieces. Yep. So for my artisan's tools, um, I'm going to choose painter supplies. So make sure you go through and activate um, one of your daggers, one of your long swords, and one of your armor. 
So the last step is um, choosing your equipment. And for this, I really recommend using D&D and Beyond because they do really help you pick the equipment that's more suited for your character. Um, your DM will tell you how many magic items you're allowed to have, if any, as well as if you're allowed to have any special items that may help you in puzzles or items for combat. Now, the very last step is to take your character out on an adventure. Go check out your character sheet and, you know, just have a good time. See what's up. You know, it, it's it's a good time. I really enjoy playing D&D. And, you know, it's it's really fun. Yeah. So, yeah. This was very fun. I very much enjoyed creating a new Same. character. Who, who I will be very excited to start playing with in the future. Same. I was already thinking about how I would, if I ever wanted to bring her onto my TikTok... Yeah, that's, like, a really fun thing, too, is, like, being able to bring characters into, like, cosplay. Like, I've started getting stuff for cosplay for my other character, Flestra. Yeah. And this one will be really easy to do, so I'm really excited. You see, mine, we'll I need body time. paint, because she's blue. Yeah, or, or a morph suit or something. Yeah, it depends on how much actual clothes I decide, because I haven't decided clothing-wise what she wears. Yeah, and that's the exciting part, is now we get to figure out who they are as people and take them on an adventure. Yeah. Awesome. I love how mine ended up being very Ravenclaw. I know, really. <laughs> and mine is, like, very... the epitome of Hufflepuff. Yeah. Which, you are, your character is my house. I know. And then I'm just there. You're just Ravenclaw. I'm not I'm just I'm also surrounded by a lot of blue right now. You are. <laughs> Well, like you must have just been the feeling the curtains, blue mood. even though they look a shade of blue, they're like gray. Okay, but still, yeah, you're you were feeling the blue today. Yes. Even my cup's blue. Mm-hmm. So we will we will see these gals back. Oh yeah. In a, in a one shot, I don't know who's gonna run it yet, but I do have some friends that are ready to do it, and they're so excited. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you listeners and watchers out there. You got mostly me today. A lot of me talking. Hey, that's fine because what in a few? Well, it's like in a few months when it's a we while. do my when we do my birthday episode. It's just gonna be me talking. Yeah. yeah. And next week is gonna be a lot of opinions. Yes. So, so shall we wrap up? Of, I was just gonna say. That. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in the outro. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fan Fatales. Gabby, would you like to tell our lovely audience what we will be chatting about next week? Next week, we're going to be chatting about movie musicals and giving them a review and a rating. Yes, and remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And subscribe to us on YouTube to see our video portion. Please leave us a review and a comment down below and tell us what you think of the show. And remember to follow us on Instagram at FamFatalesPod for the latest updates and to possibly be featured in a future episode. Now, Emma, where can the people find you on social media? So my Instagram and TikTok are both at SnippyEmma, S-N-I-P-P-Y-E-M-M-A. What about you, Gabs? I'm at Gabby Gent on Instagram, TikTok, and now Twitter. That's going to be G-A-B-Y-J-E-N-T. Our music is by our amazing friend, Maddie Macon. And our editing is by the amazing and wonderful Carol Linsmeyer. As always, thank you for tuning in. 
Bye.